So uh, we are going through uh, the John chapter 1 for, uh, for Advent this year, and uh, there's so much rich and great stuff in there, and this morning we're going to jump right into it, and we'll get to the self-deprecating stories in a little bit, okay? So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 1, and uh, we're just going to get after it. John chapter 1, verses 9 to 13 says this, the true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. It's the word of the Lord, and may God add his blessing this morning. Amen. So this passage of Scripture begins right, in the, right out. The, the true light that gives life to everyone has come into the world. And last week, Art gave a great message about what this light means, right? The light of the world. Jesus Christ came. The world was made through him. And, uh, and not only was the world made through him, but this light it reveals how and which we're supposed to live. And as Christians, uh, one, of, uh, one of my very first memory verses I ever had was John chapter 14, right? Jesus says, I'm the way and I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we have this idea, this version of Christianity, that Jesus is the light. And in that light, Jesus will teach us how to live. Now, the second part of that passage of Scripture is always uh, controversial, and that's for another time. But what's interesting is almost universally accepted all over the world, and even in other faith communities, that Jesus is the light. You know that even in the religion of Islam, Jesus is considered a prophet, right? Most non-Christians would actually put Jesus on par with Buddha and Confucius as wise people who understand life. That Jesus' teachings are universally, universally accepted as basically good, rich wisdom for the human soul. So if you want to know how to live, if you want to know what it means to do what is right, all we have to do is simply look to Jesus. As Christians, as non-Christians, people would affirm that Jesus knows what's up right? Love one another, forgive one another, um, you know, give, better to give to receive, you know, all that kind of good stuff in Scripture. People all universally would accept that. And as Christians, what we've come to, come to do or believe, um, and I think even tweak a little bit, is we've kind of moved this idea of making uh, Jesus and this idea of knowing how to live almost the, the fundamental core of our faith. Now, it is true as Christians we're called to live a certain way, but when we think of that passage of Scripture that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, a lot of times we get in this rhythm of thinking Jesus is the light, he reveals how I'm supposed to live, and if I do well, then God likes me, and if I don't do well, then God's mad at me. And that's kind of like this mental version that we have of Christianity. And uh, what I think is so interesting is that uh, as we go through this passage of Scripture, when we realize that Jesus is the light, being the light of how to behave is one thing. But what I think is more complex and what I think this passage unveils and where there's going to be disagreement among all the religions for sure, um, but is this idea that Jesus um, reveals way more than behavior modification, right? Behavior modification is just simply, these are the right things to do and now do them. And then here's maybe some consequences if you don't do them, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, how you help your kids do the right thing. But the idea of the Christmas story, that the light, the true light, reveals way more than behavior modification. What the true light reveals is actually where we are in relationship to one another and where we are in relationship to God. 
And relationships are way more complicated than, um, than just doing or not doing the right thing. And if you've ever been in a dating relationship, you know this is totally true, or ever attempted to have a dating relationship. When I was in college, um, I went on, I thought was the most killer date of all time. I took this girl to go see a James Taylor concert um, at the Shoreline, and I was, too, I was cheap, so we had the lawn seats, but the lawn seats is a college kid with a picnic listening to James Taylor. I've got fire and I've got rain, you know, whatever. You're like, oh, it's so good. Well, you know, after about an hour of James Taylor on the lawn having a picnic with a girl, it's like, we must be in love, right? Obviously. And, uh, and so to make sure I knew we were in love, you know, I leaned over for the kiss because this is obviously the moment in which she revealed that this was not going to be that kind of relationship, you know? <laughs> And uh, because in that moment, it seemed like it was going to be that relationship, but the light came on and she revealed that, no, we are simply going to be friends. Okay, that makes sense. And, uh, and so we do that in the dating relationship. It's kind of hard, but I think we even do that in the family relationships as well. And for those of you who have uh, teenagers, I'm, I don't know if you've ever heard your teenager say this to you, but like, you're not my real family. You know, my friends are my real family or my friend's parents are my real family. And when I was a teenager, it was the same thing. I mean, I love my mom and she's great, and she, uh, but she did this one thing. She didn't parent me well because she never had good snack food. I don't know what kind of parents you have, but you know, my mom was like unhealthy food. She didn't have good snack food. And uh, when I was in high school, there was this friend of mine, and his mom loved him. And I knew she loved him because she had those microwave hamburgers. You know what I'm talking about? That's how you know that your mom loves you is when you have microwave hamburgers. And so for two years, every lunchtime, this group of friends and this guy, we would go to this house and we would eat microwave hamburgers every day, five days a week for two whole years. And we kind of got in this rhythm of, right, Ah, oh, she's our mom. She, well, we went to, from she's like her mom to she is her mom. And she even started calling us her boys. And then went from our boys to those are my sons. And we're like, this is my real family. And my mom's like, you should do this. I'm like, no, you don't make me microwave hamburgers. I have a real family. And so I had this family, right? And they were my family. But then the light came on in an awful way, right? Because one Christmas, this family decided to take their whole family to Hawaii for Christmas. And me and my friends were like, this is awesome, we're going to Hawaii for Christmas. No, 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 right? There's a difference from providing microwave hamburgers and going to Hawaii, right? Going to Hawaii was your family, and um, microwave hamburgers were your like family. And so when we think of relationships, we, we don't really know where we stand until the light comes on, and the light kind of clarifies the playing field. The light says, this is where we are. And so when Jesus comes in the world, when we, when we celebrate that at Christmas and at Advent, thinking the light has come into the world, the light reveals where we are in relationship. And uh, so I'm going to give you the whole sermon right now. So you, if you have to leave or if you're checking the score for the Niner game or whatever, I'm going to give you the whole thing right up front, and then we're going to go back and unve- unveil it. So here's the whole sermon. The light reveals there's way more than behavior management. But what the light does reveal is the light reveals that we are ignorant, and the light reveals our rebellion but the light also reveals this invitation that God has to be his very own daughters and sons. So that's where we're going to jump into this morning. Sound okay? What are you going to say, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay. So here we are. Verse 9, the true light gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. Now he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so right away we see that the light reveals our ignorance. Now, Jesus comes into the world, and Art did a great job last week, talked about how Jesus created the world. He created humans in his very own image. In the heart of all humans is the stamp of God. And so we have the same 
like the, the leanings that we have are, are godly leanings. And, uh, and what happens is ignorance, and, and here we're all from Marin, so none of us are ignorant, right? So this is not for us. This is for other people because we're enlightened people. But if you think of ignorance this way, ignorance is simply doing what you think is right based on what you know. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem like a big deal, right? It's what everyone does is do what we think is right based on what we know. But the problem is maybe what we know isn't all what we know. Do you know what I mean? And we love judging those other people who do what they think they sh- is right with, um, based on what they know, and it isn't what they know. And we love looking down our nose at them. But Jesus, when he comes into the world, he comes into the world, and the world did not recognize him. And what's happened is God um, showed up and revealed himself, and he started telling this family story through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and you know, the whole deal. And he gave the Ten Commandments, and he gave this covenant and said to his people, you are my people, this is how you are to worship me, and this is how you are to live. And the whole, if you, you read through the Old Testament, you have Joshua and Judges, is the story of God's people basically trying to live into this new identity. But what happens is by the time you get to Judges, um, all sorts of death and destruction. It's like 22 chapters of just horror. Like you, want, you think you're doing poorly in your walk with God, read Judges, and you're like, I'm doing so good. Because Judges is messed up. It's just never-ending death and destruction. And basically what happens in Judges is they forgot who God was. And every generation that goes by where they forgot who they really were and what was right and what they were about, they just made more and more and more and more dumb choices. And the very end of Judges ends with this awesome passage of Scripture. It says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And that's just what ignorance is. Ignorance is there is no king. It is you doing what is right based on the information that you know. And right now we're all good people, and so it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But if you think about it, um, you get a group of us doing what we think is right based on our own thing. And the more people you get doing their own thing based on what is right in their own mind, and it just causes death and destruction. In the in the awful picture of this, which is so real for some of you and a distant memory for others, but that very first week on a college campus is that passage of Scripture. There is no king, and everyone did what is right in their own eyes. And you think back to some of you older people when you were in college, oh man, it makes college now look like a theme park, look like fairyland out in Sacramento. College now is death and destruction, and that first week in the dorms is gnarly. You take a bunch of crazy 18-year-olds with no king, with no authority, with no moral compass, and everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, and every single person making their decisions, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're not trying for death and destruction, but you take an entire dorm of people doing that, and it is death and destruction. You can tell by Christmas time, because after Christmas, you come back and a third of the dorm won't be there anymore. Reputations are lost and ruined forever based on that first week. Like if you ever read Lord of the Flies, that is what happens when we do what is right in our own eyes and there is no king. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus came into the world that he made and the world did not recognize him. And the light reveals our ignorance. It goes on in verse 11, says, And then he came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And when I was reading through the commentaries, they had this great way to say, they said when it came to his own, it could even be said he came home. He came to his people, not the world, not those ignorant people out there, but he came to his people, to his family. And when he came to his family, they rejected him. And it's one thing to have an ignorant person kind of blow you off, 
But to actually have your own family reject you is a total different thing. And this has happened right at the very beginning of Genesis. In Genesis 3, we have the, the fall, right, where the serpent temp, tempts Eve and says, you know, God said, uh, can, you, can you eat from any fruit? And God says, no, don't eat from this one. And the serpent said, did you really say that? And all that, that goes down. But basically, the very first rebellious thing we ever do is saying, God says this, but I'm going to do this instead. And all of life is basically a decision of whether we're going to follow God or follow our own deal. And it is in our hearts to be rebels. There's this, there's this uh, parable that Jesus tells in Mark chapter 12. Um, it's called the parable of the tenants. And maybe you've heard this before. But it says this, a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. So basically, right, the man, God, builds this gigantic vineyard. It's beautiful. It's like Napa Valley. He owns it. He sets this whole thing up. But then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he moved to another place. Now at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent another servant to them, and they struck the man on his head and treated him shamefully. Then still another, and that one they killed him. And he sent many others, and some they beat, and others they killed. Now in verse 7, he says he has one person left to send, a son. Not just any son, a son whom he loved. And he sent him at last, saying, they will at least respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come and let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And the hard part when I read this passage of Scripture, I so badly want to identify with the farmer and the son and be like, it's your land. You should do whatever you want. I'm so glad and thankful to be part of your vineyard, and I just want to do my part. But in me, I get that I want more. I don't want to just be a hired hand. I want to be an heir. And if Jesus is in charge... Well, then I can't be in charge. And there's this thing in me, this rebellion in me that pushes against that. In this passage, they said, you know, let, when it says right here, uh, verse 7, but the tenant said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take that inheritance will be ours. And that's basically what rebellion is. It's saying there is this heir, there is this king who's in charge. And in our messed up mind, we think if we kill him, the inheritance is ours. But how foolish, right? If they kill the son, do you think that the, the farmer's going to be like, oh, you killed my son, I don't have another hair. I guess it's your guys's, right? That's not how it works. But in our weird, messed up mind, that's exactly what happens. And so when we think of the light coming into the world, the light reveals our ignorance and it reveals our rebellion. Now, for any, if any of you uh, are parents and you've ever had your child rebel uh, against you, 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 you turn into a different person, Right? Um, it's one thing to have someone be ignorant and treat you poorly, but when your own daughter or son rebels and gets in your face, there's something that happens in you, at least in me. And I think I'm a pretty nice dad for the most part, uh, but this, the, this last week, my son almost ended his own life. <laughs> we, uh, we were having a hard day. It was a hard Friday, and we were all kind of at the end of our ropes, and we were kind of like, you know, like those end of the weeks, and everyone's kind of all frazzled. So we had a mild fight. I sent the kids to the room, and... Uh, nicely. Well, sort of nicely. But anyway, it was, it was the end of the week, right? It was Friday. And uh, so Kate and I were in the kitchen. We're talking. We said, you know what? Let's turn this, let's, let's, let's turn this whole thing around. Let's, let's, let's take our whole family out to dinner, and we'll have a nice night out. Well, in the process of us having this conversation, my daughter and son stripped down into their pajamas, and, um, and I did unbeknownst to me, and I, and I call out to them. I say, hey, kids, get, get your shoes on. We're going out to dinner. And Noah comes out in his pajamas, no shoes or anything, and goes, we refuse and then ran back into his room. And 
Now, normally it's kind of funny, and you're like, ha, ha, ha. But right, this, is, this was meant like we were already at the end of our rope, right? We were already stressed and freaked out. We, I was trying to salvage it. And then to have Noah go, we refuse. Oh, my goodness. Like those veins on the side of your neck popped out. Like everything in me to like not walk back there and just end his life. Like, I mean, thankfully, Katie was, if Katie was not at home, it would have been gnarly. You know what I mean? And so when I think of as a dad and rebellion, like blatant rebellion, like there's something in you that just wants to crush that. Maybe not you, but that's for me. Like if there's blatant rebellion, you have to crush that. And what I think is so incredible about God is when he looks at his creation, when he looks at humans that are made in his image, when he looks at his special people that are called out, that are his very own, that are his home, and they've all rejected him. That God does not just go, let's do Noah and the ark all over again. Let's do this thing. That's what I would do. But instead, he goes, okay, I have a different way. And God, in his compassion and his mercy and his grace, reveals an invitation. That God is so full of generosity, right? To, be, to have a people that are so full of ignorance, so full of rebellion. It is, is a generous heart of God that he goes and he finds another way to capture his people. And, uh, and what he does is he expands his family. And so it goes on here in verse 12, the crux of this passage, to say this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That is incredible that in the midst of all of this ignorance and rebellion, God shows up. That God now offers this ignorant and rebellious people value and purpose. That God found a way to actually make these people, to make us part of his family. And what's interesting, it says it's not by a human, not by human desire or, or a husband's will, but by the will of God. And what's so rad is in uh, Galatians chapter 4, uh, it just set, it spells out this whole process of how it works. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, But when the set time had fully come, Christmas, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that now calls out, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Like, if you think of the story of adoption, that is exactly what it is, right? Anyone can go and make a baby, almost anybody, right? That doesn't take any skill, doesn't take any, any smarts, doesn't take any money. It just takes two horny people. That's all it takes, But to adopt a child takes an incredible amount of time, of effort, of patience. I mean, an incredible amount. And um, Kay and I started the adoption process a long time ago, and it didn't really work out for us. Uh, But we have always had a a strong heart for this. And uh, one of my good, good friends is right in the middle of this. I want to show their picture. This is my friend Eric and Jessa Anderson, and they're youth pastors out in Minnesota. And... um, they are just great, dear friends, and they are like, um, like the passionate kind of people who love God. Todd, you know, like we're like the smart kind of people who love God, but these guys are like, you know, the passionate, oozy people who love God, and their passion for Jesus is so 
overwhelming, and, the, and it spills out into their student ministry. They're the best youth pastors on the planet, and that is no joke, hands down. Um, but they're already hired somewhere else, and they couldn't come here, so don't worry about that. But, they, so this is their story. They love God, they love Jesus, they love kids. They spent their whole life getting after it. Uh, they tried to have kids of their own, and it didn't really work out. And so they're like, okay, God, well, obviously you have tuned us to be a family, so what does that look like? And they kind of wrestled through the options. Are we going to foster adopt? Are we going to adopt here? Are we going to do what? And as they prayed about it, as they wrestled with it, they, uh, you know, their heart was just broken for uh, some of the different stories they were hearing out of Africa. But Africa is really big, right? I mean, Africa is huge. And it's kind of weird, like, Africa. And so they started the, the process in Ethiopia. And they said, There's this, we're going we're to uh, connect with this organization in Ethiopia, and we're going to start to adopt this kid. And they started the process. And if you, if you know anything about the adoption process, it is awful. I mean, Sidebar is from the pit of hell, the way it is so hard to adopt kids these days. But that's for another sermon. And it's been two years, and they've been trying to get this girl uh, from Ethiopia. Well, as this was going on, this dossier came across them. And I'm going to jack her name. I jack even English names. Uh, but this is uh, Nosifo, and I don't even know her last name. But this is Nosifo, and, and this dossier came across them. And she's in this tiny little orphanage in South Africa, and she actually has HIV. And Eric and Jessa were like, if not us, then who? Like, who in the whole world is going to adopt Nasifo? We're in. I mean, that's the kind of people Eric and Jess are. They are unbelievable people. And so they, into the third year now of the adoption process, are now getting Nasifo. And in the next month or so, they are going to fly over there and pull her and bring her home. And sometime this spring, I'm so excited, I even get to meet her. She's awesome. And this girl, Nasifo, right? She's in this tiny little orphanage. She has HIV. She's on the most marginalized of every single person, not just in the, I mean, in the whole world, right? And yet, Eric and Jessa, out of their own will, not out of their own passions or desires, but out of a conscious effort, have said, that girl is going to be in my family. She's no longer going to be this orphan. She's no longer going to be this no-name. She's no longer going to be on the fringes. She is going to go from being a fringe person to being an Anderson. And everyone who knows Jess and Eric want to be an Anderson so bad. He is, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, so they are taking this girl and they're going to bring her into their family because they are making, they are giving her the right to become an Anderson. And that's unbelievable. And that's just on our human understanding. That's, but that is a basic, like that's the worst picture that I can explain of how good God is, that not out of human will or human passion, but God intentionally reaches out, sees this whole mass of ignorant and rebellious people, and calls out people and says, you are invited to be my daughter. You are invited to be my son. You are invited to be a no-name and to come and sit at my family and be a part of my family. And so we realize that God offers us this high value and this high purpose. And so we have this right to become children of God. But the question is, what does that really mean to be, what is that right to become a children of God? And I, this is a great a little study if you want to do it. You should just go to Google and Google identity in Christ. And you're going to find a thousand web pages, of course. But every one of those web pages will be a document like this. I had to edit this down because I thought 10 pages was a bit much. And then, and then I got it down to four. And even some of these four, I'm like, how do you delete some of the great good things that God has about us? But I just want to share with you some passages of Scripture about who you are in Jesus. Because when you say yes to Jesus, when you go from being out there to being God's very own daughter or son, things are fundamentally different for you. They're fundamentally different for me. And we need to understand what has finally happened. 
So I just want to share these passages. So here are these new, this new value that God has given us. And I have all the scripture quotes here, but I tried in the first service and it was a little choppy. So I'm just going to read through them. Here we go. I am a child of God. I have been justified. I am Christ's friend. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm assured all things work together for good. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I am holy and blameless. I am an adopted child of God. I have redemption. I am forgiven. I have hope. I am sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I am a saint. I'm the salt and light of the earth. I am alive in Christ, and I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I have been shown the incomparable riches of God's grace, and God has expressed his kindness to me. I am his workmanship, his peace. I am secure. I am a holy temple. I share in the promise of Jesus Christ, and God's power works through me. I can approach God with freedom and confidence, and I am completed by God. I am not alone. I am united with other believers. I am not in want. I possess the mind of Christ. I have been promised eternal life, a full life. I am victorious. I am chosen and dearly loved. I am blameless, set free, crucified with Christ, more than a conqueror, the righteousness of God. I am part of God's kingdom, healed from sin, and I am no longer condemned. This passage is go on and on. That's the cliff notes. But the entire Bible is chock full of our true value. And unfortunately, our brokenness and our broken nature is always messed up and is always trying to figure out who we really are and if we really matter, and we have all sorts of awful ways in which we cope about that. But that is ignorance, right? Ignorance is us doing what we think is right based on the information that we have. The light reveals the truth, and the light reveals that we have a new value. Whatever sort of weird self-talk you have in your head, all the weird stuff that you keep telling about yourself and about others in your head over and over again that shapes every decision of your life, right? That's an ignorant thought pattern because that is not based on the truth of the light of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and who we are when we're adopted into his family. That is real. And as those things change and transform us, we now have a new value. And people who have a new value, right, we now have a high purpose. Because what's interesting is you think of this process of self-esteem and understanding value. At first, if there's no self-esteem and no value, you just kind of cause death and destruction everywhere. As you're trying to understand and develop self-esteem and value, you become really self-absorbed and you just, yes, I'm so great. But the culmination of that, the culmination of our high value is when we realize our high value is for a high purpose. This new value that we have is not for us, but is for other people. This, this passage, these passages go on to Scripture. These passages go on to say, I am now a member of God's household. I have purpose. I am God's co-worker. I am a minister of reconciliation, and I am the light of the world. So now in Jesus Christ, with this new value, we're invited to be co-workers with God. We're invited to be a part of of the family business. God has this thing that he wants to do. He is interested in expanding the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. He has called us to be the ministers of reconciliation, to begin the process of being his ambassadors for the whole world. That's us. That's what we've been called to do. And I'm so honored to be a part of a church that sees where those things happen and get after it. Annabella, with what you're doing, it is killer. That's exactly it. That's going, I have this high value, and now I have a high purpose, and I'm going to get after it and expand the kingdom of God. Partnering with the Salvation Army 
I mean, the Salvation Army, with all that they do, they're the number one organization that care for the poor and downtrodden in the entire country, if not the whole world. And the fact that we're going to give them one Saturday to ring some bells, but we're developing a partnership with them because we want to be about the expansion of the kingdom of God. That is what we've been given, a new value and a high, ver- and a high purpose. Okay, but I do want to share one quick thing. Um, and I want to answer one more question. This question is simply, why are we always hedging? Now, as a youth pastor and, um, and being a part of a church for a long time, I've spent a ton of time with adopted families, with parents who are trying to adopt, parents who have adopted, kids who have adopted, teenagers who have been adopted. And, um, and there's one common stream. And that common stream is that every child who's ever been adopted has this low to high level insecurity and angst that is simply as the parent chose them, the parent will unchoose them. And it is this forever angst that never seems to go away. And as the youth pastor, it is heartbreaking to watch teenagers and young adults who have this angst, who think, well, I was just picked, why me? And then if they just pick me, they're just going to get rid of me. And so what happens is because that angst, right, it often works itself out in rebellion and causing to do everything possible so the parent will go, fine, you're done. We're done with you. And it just causes death and destruction. And what's so heartbreaking is that the adopted kid can never land and fully be the heir to this new family. And what the kid does not see is that the adopted parent, the parent who did the adopting, they didn't see the four or five years of heartache and pain and personal turmoil that that came to that moment. They didn't see the years of infertility that that led to that moment. They didn't see having to deal with awful social workers to get to that moment. They didn't have to deal with all of the waiting and the rejection and the mystery and the chaos and all the things that got to finally when the dossier comes and sits on you and goes, this is your new daughter. The adopting kid doesn't know that side of the story. And every parent who's ever adopted a kid would never, ever turn that kid away. That kid is theirs. They are co-heirs. They are part of their family. They get the family inheritance because they are adopted. And whether in our real lives we've been adopted or not, in our spiritual lives, we all have this angst. Is God, did he really choose me? Is he really for me? Does he really have this stuff for us? And so most of us spend our whole lives hedging. And every year that goes on that we, that we hedge, we miss out on embracing being a part of the family of God. Every year we hedge, we miss out sitting at the family table, being a part of God's family, being called his precious daughter, his precious son, and being empowered to be a part of the family business. And my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that we would just stop hedging that we would stop being ignorant, that we would stop being rebellious, that we would say yes to this invitation of Jesus Christ and be his daughters and sons, to embrace our new values, to get after this high purpose and stop hedging. That's a lot there. I mean, that's like, that's Christianity for our entire lives. But every step we move towards Christ is one more step where we can be all that God has for us. And in a non-selfish way, like Art mentioned earlier, this entire community and this entire world is waiting for the church to get that. This world is in desperate need of hope 
and love and grace and compassion and mercy. And we are the body of Christ. We are the sent out ones. Us hedging means that doesn't happen. So finally, this Christmas, I have four different invitations. And I think every single person in this room can at least identify with one of these. So invitation number one, I speak on behalf of our entire pastoral team. If you think of our church, this is the house of God. We are the family of God. And because this is the house of God and because we are the family of God, I want you to know that you are honored guests. And for some of you who got dragged here because it's Christmas break and your parents made you or because your husband made you or because you're just trying to sort this thing out spiritually and you have no idea where you land on the spiritual spectrum, you need to know that you are our guest of honor. We are so thrilled and so glad that you would come and be a part of our family and be a part of our family meal on Sunday mornings. So thank you for coming and know that you are our guest of honor. You don't have to believe the right thing. You don't have to act the right way. You don't have to say the right things. You just can get to come and be. And we are super glad that you are here. So you are invited to be our guest of honor. For some of us or you who might identify with this ignorance thing, you have done what is right in your own eyes based on your own information, and you have just a wake of death and destruction behind you. You may may not even be ready to say yes to Jesus and the Messiah and the Son of God and that whole thing, but maybe even just Jesus as a teacher. Maybe would you be willing this Christmas to just walk in the light? Would you be willing to expand your knowledge of how the world works, of how humans work, and to not be so ignorant and to treat others well and to not be so self-absorbed in your worldview to leave a wake of death and destruction? Some of you can identify with those vineyard workers and you have this rebellion inside of you. You know that Jesus is the king, but you so badly just want to be the king. And we're messed up in our mind. You think, we just kill him, we'll be it. But we know in our moment of of saneness that that's not how it works. So maybe this morning you just feel convicted that you go, I've been a rebel. I've wanted that king to die so I could be the king. And maybe the invitation for you this Christmas is simply to repent to turn away from our rebellion and move towards Christ. And what's so rad about God as our Heavenly Father is He's not a dad like me, who when my son rebels, I hold it over his head for a little bit so he knows what's up. God is not like that. God, the entire story of Scripture is rebellious people coming back to God and God continually showing them grace and mercy. God is long-suffering. He's at the edge of His property, longing for his rebellious daughter and son to simply turn around so he can embrace them, throw the big robe on them, and give them a party. And then finally, for some of you, like, man, I love Jesus and I'm all in and this is all great. Maybe this Christmas you just simply need to embrace this identity, to quit hedging, to take on this new value, and to get after this high purpose that God has for us. I mean, I believe that God has called Marin Covenant to a unique time in a unique place to be God's light of grace and mercy, not only in this local context, but all over the world. And I think his heart is as many of us as possible get in on that. So my prayer for you and for all of us would be to embrace that identity. Let me pray for us and then we'll call it quits. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I'm so thankful for how complex you are 
how complex that Jesus, the one we celebrate at Christmas, in some weird ways is a respected teacher by all people. But that you reveal more than just a way to live, more than just the rights and wrongs of what to do, but you have revealed the relational landscape. God, this morning we confess that we've done what is right in our own eye, that we've abandoned our king, and then sometimes even fought against you as our king. And God, my prayer for me and for my church is that we would simply embrace this reality. We no longer need to be in the outskirts of, the, of society to be out in the dregs, but you, through your son Jesus, have invited us to be your very daughters, to be your very sons. Whatever that thing is that's holding us back from embracing that, God, please reveal that to us. Please let us work that out and to wrestle with that because we get that this world needs you and we get that the church is your tool to do that. So raise up this church, help us to embrace your identity and let us live into this reality that says, yet to all who believed in his name, yet to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, you have given the right to become children of God. May that be more and more real. Amen and amen.